0: I know it's nine degrees out, but it's warm in here. Don't fall asleep on me if the heat starts to slow your heartbeat down. We want you to be warm while we're working through this together. Um, I get the call to help those words that you just heard make sense in your heart this morning. I know that I am the one who will be talking, but don't listen passively. Listen actively. Get into this story with me. My job is to make it as plain to you as I can. Okay, right after the service today is our musicians training. I love our band. I am so thankful for their service to our church. Nobody is paid a nickel right now for all the work that they do in getting ready to serve us week after week after week. They do their work because they love God and because they love you. And they want to bring glory to God and they want to help you. That's why they do their work. And I not only love our band, I need our band and our musicians. I need them leading me, compelling me, Driving me, like grabbing me by the back of the neck and dragging me if they have to, to train my heart to respond rightly in song to the glory of God in the grace of the gospel. I need them to do that. All right, I am not a big movie goer. I actually go to the movies one time a year. Unless Grace says, hey, you want to go to the movies? Then I'll go. But we go once a year at Christmas time and we. Get the kids together and we go. When we go, I insist that we see something that has mega action, you know? Like if you're going to go to the movies, you might as well see something crazy. Like God's coming out of the sky with axes forged in dying star lava, and then they wipe out an entire field worth of enemies. This is the kind of movie that I'm willing to pay $8.50 to go see. Always the matinee. So a few years ago, I went to see a movie called Mad Max Fury Road. The original Mad Max was like one of the first movies I had ever seen when I was a kid, that weird dystopian thing. And so I was like, all right, it seems like there's going to be a lot of stuff exploding in this movie. I'm going. So I went. Without a doubt, without a doubt, my favorite part of the whole movie was the guy in the red pajamas who was chained to the front of one of the rigs and he was wailing on his double neck guitar the other time to encourage his people as they pursued their mission. This guy. Here's why I love this guy. Because of his humility and his zeal. And those are our big ideas today that we would sing with humility and zeal. So first of all, He's wearing a pair of red pajamas. He doesn't care what he looks like up there. He's not worried about his appearance. He is not complaining that he doesn't get to steer the car or ride shotgun and shoot one of those flaming arrows. He is happy with his calling to be the one who would take his music and let it be in service to everyone else as they go after their mission. Nobody is looking back at him, nobody. Everyone is looking forward and he is content to play that they might have their eyes on what they are called to do. I love his lack of self-importance. And I love his zeal. There's like 150 speakers behind this guy and he is not like, you know, an emo hipster picking at his acoustic guitar. He is like thrashing across 12 chords, 12 strings, the entire movie, as loud as he can do it. There is strength in his song, vigor, exuberance, energy, zeal. This is how I want our musicians to think about their calling to lead us in song. Now, I don't want anybody wearing red pajamas up on the stage. That is not my point. I am totally good with everyone's outfits as they are, okay? We've got Felipe in his chillax style. We've got Josh with his old guy hats and his penny loafers without socks. Have you seen that? Jill and Jess in skinny jeans and like those flowing scarves that they have. I'm good with their style. Just be yourself up there. I love Nick's outfits. Tell me about Nick's outfits. You can't do it because he is the least pretentious bass player in the history of bass players. You don't even know what he wears. It's invisible. It is the humility, the self-forgetfulness, and the zeal that I want to mark the way that our band sings, and not just the way that they lead us in worship, but the way that you come in here and use your instrument, your voice to sing. Grace and I got married in 1996, March 30th, and um, it was so much fun. We've been to 23 years worth of weddings since our wedding, and it's still one of the most fun weddings I have ever been to, hands down. We met as teenagers, and so everybody knew us sort of together, and couldn't wait till the day when I finally turned 22 so we could get married. They were all like so excited to be at this party, and they all came not thinking about themselves, not focusing on them, but celebrating something else, something outside of them. They were excited about something that had nothing to do with them. It was a glory of a marriage of two friends or family who they loved. They came to this party ready to celebrate. And they did. DJ Toto from Medford was on the turntables. They actually had to hire him for an additional hour or two because nobody wanted to go home and leave this party. They were having so much fun. Uh, The last song was, you know, Donna Summer. You know that one, Last Dance? Last Dance, Last Chance. It is a singing Sunday. You have to sing with me. For love, yes, it's my last chance for romance. Come on, Lori. Tonight, oh, oh, I need you by me, beside me, to guide me, and hold me, uh, because when I'm bad, I'm oh so bad. That was the last song. If you look at the video, thank you, Lori, I love you. If you look at the video at the end of the night, Everybody is a mess. And there was no alcohol at our wedding. They had just celebrated with such zeal. My buddy Chris Harrington's tie was around his head. My buddy Rules just had, you know, his wife beater. Is that still politically correct? Can I say that, Chris? His, it's a white tank top that he wore underneath his... That's all he had on by the end of the night. Not one woman in the whole place still had her shoes on. They had a blast. They looked like seven miles of bad road. And they didn't care. They didn't care. They wouldn't have had it any other way. They were self-forgetful and humble and zealous. That is how I want you to use your voice in song to the Lord. All right, nobody in your Bible models this more beautifully than David. And all we're going to do is work the text I read to you And land the plane with some application here's the context you know when the Bruins won the Stanley Cup and they did the duck pot the duck pot's parade that spring and they had the Stanley Cup and everybody was celebrating and singing and dancing and then they got back to City Hall Plaza and they presented the Stanley Cup and blessed the people and they had this giant big hockey worship service you know that That's the context of this scene right here. The Ark of the Covenant, which in the older covenant represented the presence of God among his people. This was a big deal. It had been stolen, and now it was being returned to the people. And so there was this big celebration and parade, bringing the Ark back to the city. And when it got back into its place, they had a gathered worship service with harps and lyres and singing and dancing and leaping and praising And they blessed the people and they shared a meal. It was a worship service. You got it? Here's what the Bible gives you of the two things that marked David in his engagement in this scene. Here they are. The first one was this. David danced before the Lord with all his might. And then the second one was this. David was wearing a linen ephod. Okay, work these words with me. Get them in your soul. The first ones I need you to see is the words before the Lord. See them up there? Before the Lord. We would say this is gospel centrality. This is focusing in on the glory of God. Those words will thread throughout our morning. You're gonna hear them over and over and over again. David is moved. To dance and sing and leap and shout and do what he did on this day because of the greatness and the glory and the grace of the Lord. You got that? Okay, second thing, feel the humility. The first thing in his presence among the people. Here is the king and he is down in the parade on the street with the people. Anybody ever go to a Patriots game and, you know, if you got the wicked cheap seats, you're way far away with the regular people. Then if you know somebody like Bobby Brown, you might get tickets that are closer down to the field. But where do the Crafts and all their fancy pants friends sit? They sit in a luxury box, right? A suite with people bringing them finger food the whole game and heaters behind them away from the... Hoi polloi of the regular people. Have you ever seen them go sit in section HH, row 19, seat 30? That's not how they do that. You ever get on a plane and there's a first class thing and you're not in it? Have you ever been looked at like with disdain and disgust by the people in those seats that it's taking you so long to just move past them and get where you belong in the back? Am I the only one that's ever happened to One time my bag got like a little bit stuck on this lady's first class seat. Oh my goodness, the condensation coming down on me. How dare you pause in front of my seat? Don't you know this is first class? She would have rather died than come sit in the back with the rest of us. Pastors do this all the time, and I've tried to make a mark of not being this way. The church that I grew up in, when the sermon was being preached, if the pastor wasn't preaching He didn't just sit with you guys like I tend to do. There was this high back chair up on the stage because he needed to be set apart from the people. Or I've been in times like that when the pastor's not preaching and he'll stand up in the back or wander around the foyer because he's not going to come in and sit with the regular people. Man, I hate that tendency in my heart and in the human heart. And I love David because he will not do it. He is the king, but he is there dancing among the regular people. I want this to be so true of our church. So down here is Green Street Baptist Church. We set up on Wednesday nights so that a meal can be served to people who don't have a Thanksgiving meal. And this year I bought a boom box because there's so many young kids who help us to set up. And I did a little bit of setting up, but that's not like my thing. My thing is to be with the kids and have some fun with them. So I gave them the Apple Music iPhone, and they started picking all the songs that you do specific dance moves to. So for the last half of the night, I was up there with them doing the Macarena and the Chicken Dance and the the Cotton Eye Joe thing with your toe on the ground. Then there's this new one. It might not be new. I'm old. To the left, to the left, to the left one time. We were doing all of that stuff. Now, if you walked into that room, the only way that you would have known that I wasn't a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old is because I'm 6'3 and ugly and red and bald. But other than that, I was right there with them enjoying that time. Do you feel that? The king of Israel did that on this day. If you didn't know that he was the king, you never would have known that there was something special about this guy. The second thing is that he was, oh, sorry. The second thing is that he was wearing a linen ephod. Okay, this is weird Old Testament Bible language. Um, Here's my illustration for this. When I was a kid, my dad was a super softball pitcher, so we were at the field twice a week. And the third baseman on the team worked on Wall Street, and so he would hustle to get to the game just in time, and he'd be coming, flying through the, the thing to get to the field, and he would get out of his car, and he looked like a million bucks, He was dapper in his Wall Street power suit, and he would run into the woods, and he would tear it off, and he would put on the rattiest, crustiest, sky blue uniform that you've ever seen, and we came out of the woods. He just looked like any other blue-collar third baseman on the team. You feel that? This is what David did on this day. This was not inappropriate dress like he wasn't dancing around in a loincloth or a jock strap or something that was vulgar. This is him saying, It is now time for me to humble myself before the Lord with the people and dance. So he takes off his power suit, his kingly robes, and his crown, he puts them aside, and he pulls on, you know, his Adidas sweatpants and his jacket and his hoodie, and he gets out and it's nice and loose, and he jumps in with the people. What are these verses telling you about David? It's not about him. He's not keeping up appearances. He's not worried that someone's going to snap a picture on Facebook that makes him look like a goofball. His focus is on the Lord and feel the zeal. You see it up there? He danced before the Lord. Do you see it? With all his might. He was so glad in God, so filled up with his grace that he is careening around that ark. He is lifting his hands. He is locking arms with Wesley and Claire and Tatum and Olivia and Julia, and he is not embarrassed about it. He is sweating profusely, but he has this grin on, I love David for these verses in my Bible, I love him. What a humble man? What a humble king? What zeal for the Lord. You feel that? But not everybody in the story loves him for this. Here's what we read next. As the Ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window. And she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. She gets this all wrong. First of all, what is she called in the text? The daughter of Saul. She's called that two or three times. Immediately that triggers trouble for us, right? So now there's pride here. I am the king's wife. And I was the king's daughter. I am somebody. She's getting her identity in her kingly lineage and her queenly position. You feel that? Her father Saul did not worship the Lord rightly. He was deposed by the Lord because he did not honor him rightly with worship. Daughter of Saul, you should immediately go, oh no. Second thing, where is she or where is she not? Everybody else, including David, is celebrating the glory of God on the street, in the dust, getting sweaty and dirty. And where is Michael? She is up in her royal home, behind her royal window, with the finger foods coming and the heaters on. She is not where the action is taking place. She has cut herself off from the worship of God. And she doesn't just keep her distance, but what does she do? She judges David for not. She casts judgment on the participants and on her husband. She despises him in her heart. What is she saying to herself? How dare my husband make a fool of himself like that? How dare he go down among the common people without his kingly robes on? He'll never get his dignity back from this. How dare he leap and and dance and do the cotton-eyed Joe like a common idiot? How could he ever do this? Is he really singing sweet Caroline and doing the wave? I'm so embarrassed. How will he retain any dignity or rule after this scene? She is proud. She not only doesn't join in, but she condemns her husband. Okay, you feel the collision coming in this text? Here we go. And David returned to bless his household. I love this, he has blessed the people, and now he's coming home to bless those under his special care, those in his home. All the gladness that he has had in God, he wants to touch down in his house at his kitchen table. That's beautiful masculinity right there, that's a a husband saying, I'm bringing the grace of the gospel into this home today. How can I just go do it there and not bring it here? I love this. Now question, as he is approaching his home, how are you expecting his wife to receive him? You're expecting her to honor him, right? To just be like, babe, I love you for what you did today. That was so beautiful and so right. You are a strong and handsome and accomplished king, but you are so humble. You are royalty, but you are not pretentious. You love God and you are not ashamed to show it. No wonder the people love you. This is the greeting that you're expecting him to receive from his wife. But this is not what we get. Instead, this is what we get. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. And he said, "How the, she said, How the king of Israel has honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Can everybody feel this? If you're a wife, please don't ever speak to your husband this way. There will be times when you need to correct him, where you need to say, hey, can we sit down and talk because I have to call a timeout? This is not right. But don't cut his legs out from under him. Can you feel what's happening here? He hasn't even gotten into the house and she kicks the door open and she's on him with sarcasm and disrespect and cutting spirit. Here's the best thing I read to sum this up for you. This was written 500 years ago. We don't talk this way anymore, but hear these words. It's about Michael's pride. We see here that this wretch had nothing in her but pride under the excuse that she was the daughter of the king. When she saw her husband humbled with the people, out of pride she began dishonoring and despising God and him whom she ought to have honored. What could she have done to carry out her duty to David? At the very least, she could have accompanied him. And even if she had no reverence for him, she still could have shown God the honor he deserved. Instead, she is there at the window finding fault in others, making fun of those employed in faithful service to the Lord. This was the source of David's motivation and devotion. He loved God. It's also the very reason why this tongue despised her husband in her heart and disdained him was that she refused to worship God in purity. Okay, those are sharp words, but he's right. She hammers him for exactly the things that made this a beautiful scene. She hammers him for his humility. She can't understand that it's exactly David's smallness that has made his heart able to worship the Lord. She wants him to remain kingly and large and big. And she doesn't understand that it is him putting that aside and making himself lonely that enlarges his heart like the Grinch so that he might actually worship God rightly. She hates his zeal. So much so that she lies about it. She exaggerates. You hear the hyperbole in here? David was not bumping and grinding like with the the millennials down, you know, at the club. That's not what this is. He was not being vulgar like a, a Beastie Boys video or like a scene from The Hangover or something inappropriate, that's not this. David was right to dance before the ark of the Lord. And instead of praising him and joining him in humility and in zeal, she cops a serious attitude with him about it. Okay, my words have been hard on Michael, but you and I are the same exact way. The same way. In the life of this church, I have seen this happen many times with husbands and wives. We had a young guy come to faith in Jesus and be rescued from his sin. And he was dating this girl. And he took her to the Passion Conference in Boston, which is basically a bunch of college students getting together to sing songs to Jesus. That's basically what Passion is. And he was so zealous because of God's grace here in the gospel that he just let loose in worship. And they had a fight because she disdained him for it. She could not believe that he was embarrassing her this way with this exuberance in his worship. She could not wait to leave. Don't judge Michael, we are the same way. I've had a conversation with a husband and a wife in our church and he said, listen, we're done robbing God. I'm done refusing to give. We're gonna begin to tithe. And he started to give generously for the first time. And when she saw the bank statements, I ended up in the conversation because she was not happy with his exuberance and his zeal and his generosity. You can't give that much money to God. She cut him down for it. I had the same thing backwards with a wife who said, we're going to be serious about the worship of God. And we're not doing AAU, I forget what it was, basketball or...